Sunday for Sunday, July 24th, 2022. Thanks so much for joining us. Hope you had a great week. We've got members of the media, academia, and financial services standing by as we analyze all the news and information for this week. So sit back, relax, enjoy this episode of Sunday. Daniel Klein. Dan, so great to talk to you. Thanks so much for joining us on the program this morning. Good morning, Jeff. Happy to be here. Yeah, let, there's a lot to get to, and I want to start off with news that broke late uh, this past week. Uh, Amazon uh, continuing to make a push in the healthcare arena with its announced purchase of One Digital. I want to get your thoughts on this from a consumer perspective, but also, also excuse me, a healthcare perspective. So healthcare is ripe for disruption, but it's also incredibly entrenched. I don't know if you've gone to the doctor recently, Jeff, but a lot of doctors are still using like fax machines and, and physical prescription pads and, <laughs> and take notes. And even if they're using iPads or, or other devices, they're using them in sort of out of date ways. So this is not an easy field to disrupt. And Amazon has approached it in a couple of different directions. They, of course, bought their prescription drug service, which in theory can, can fill your prescriptions. Uh, and obviously, Amazon has a huge distribution network, so that's, that's something it can leverage. They've also tested sort of a hybrid model of healthcare, where, you know, there, there are some limitations with Teladoc. So you go to Teladoc, and they can't take your blood pressure. They can't take your temperature. There's a lot of things they, they can't do. So Amazon has a model for its employees uh, and some surrounding businesses where they can dispatch a nurse to your house. So you might see the doctor on a digital uh, telehealth basis, but then when it comes time to actually uh, do some diagnosis or take some tests, there's a physical nurse that's sent to you that can draw blood, that can do some of the things that need to do for total healthcare. And now with this latest purchase, uh, they're buying a network of uh, primary care physicians. And in theory, they could build this sort of hybrid model where maybe it starts with telehealth and where it has to move into the real world, it does, or maybe it starts in the real world, but follow-up visits are telehealth or hybrid. Or So this is Amazon trying to find the way to break into something and, and do an industry differently that really doesn't want to be done differently. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I, I often joke with you and others about the inertia that exists. You know, that we, everyone talks – in every industry about change, Dan, okay? We all talk about how everyone's got to be accepting of change, but it's funny how the people that are opining and talking about that are really stuck in doing things the, the same way. And um, as you know, we, we talk regularly, uh, a lot of times by email and text, but uh, we had, a, we had a, uh, a fellow from Harvard Medical School on this week talking about Part D of Medicare, which is the pres- prescription drug plan. And there was a study done, I don't know if you saw this, I'm sure you did because you read every darn thing that's out there. There was a study done that 
there could have been billions of dollars saved had people have been directed to online pharmacies, um, places where they could get generic versions of the drug that they needed. And especially as you get older, right, you, your need for drugs get back. So this is an industry ripe for disruption. It's needed. And the question is, how do you, how do you get from point A to point Z? Yeah, everybody's nibbling at the edges. You've got Mark Cuban with his uh, low-cost pharmacy online, where basically they identify drugs that a lot of people use and then essentially buy them in bulk and sell them back to people at a 20% markup. Well, as you might imagine, that's not a business the drug companies want. Like no. they, they, If you were getting a premium on your products, if you were charging a premium, but here's the reality. Costco's been doing this, and, and Walmart through Sam's Club have been doing this for decades, and it really hasn't made a dent because there's a huge infrastructure built around things being really expensive. And I, I remember once, I think I've told you this story before, I went to the doctor. I, I knew I had strep throat. My wife had strep throat. I waited for 30 minutes. I saw a doctor or a nurse, maybe not even a doctor, for less than two minutes, and I got an itemized bill that was over $500. Now, my insurance paid for that, but there's no place in the world where two minutes of a nurse or doctor's time was worth $500. Like, they didn't give me a test. They took my word for it that my wife tested positive and just gave me the medicine I needed, which is which is fine, but it's a dumb system. Like, like telemedicine is some of that, where you pay just sort of a fixed fee for a doctor, but the reality is this just doesn't work the way you'd hope it would work. Yeah, there, there's a lot of really important work that has to be done Dan, I have to think, and I want to move on to the next topic in a second, but um, for me, it's all about being a better – everything is about being a better consumer, whether it's buying healthcare, whether it's financial service products, whether it's just going and buying streaming, which we're going to get to in a minute. Uh, I think a big part of this disruption that needs to happen has to focus on that education right, and, and making sure that people – uh, regardless of their socioeconomic status, understand the basic tenets, for example, of buying health insurance, what questions to ask as a doctor. Those are things that I think we really need to focus on as well because it's great that there's disruption, but if you don't know how to use it as an individual, what good is it? Yeah, that, that, that's the problem. But look, people find their little hacks. You, you know I, I cruise a lot, Jeff, yep. and a lot of times you stop in, uh, in Cozumel where – Drugs that are, are prescription here are over the counter. You see people buying their blood pressure medicine or, you know, or whatever else it might be because it's cheaper even if they do have health insurance. And you shouldn't be buying drugs that you don't 100% know what they are. Um, but if you can't afford them and that's your best path forward, people are going to do that. So it's, it's really, really tricky, and it's something that we really should be doing on a, a national level but this is an area where, where money has made change impossible, at mm -hmm. least on a, a governmental level, and it's going to take an Amazon. Look, uh, I, a lot of my friends in this space uh, don't believe this change can happen, and I think Amazon and others will find a way, but they've been trying to find a way for a decade, and it's, it's happening very slowly. It is happening slowly, and we need it, that to change, especially with baby boomers retiring that's like our largest generation retiring at such a high rate. All right, Dan, let's shift gears and, and uh, want to talk about streaming. Um, a couple things. First, let's talk about the streaming wars, and that's something that, you know, it's Netflix on one side, and then you've got Disney Plus, HBO Max, Paramount Plus, Peacock. 
Has Netflix lost the streaming wars? So they haven't lost, but they don't own good content. And that's like, you may have noticed they're promoting their most expensive movie ever, The Gray Man. And who knows what it is because it isn't based on anything I've ever heard of. And Disney could be like, uh, hey, hey, look, we've got Ant-Man 5 coming out, or they just came out with Thor. And it's a lot easier to promote Thor than it is to promote things you've never heard of. There, there, there's a reason Amazon paid a billion dollars for Lord of the Rings rights or whatever they paid. That might be an overstatement. So getting a foothold is owning content people care about. And really, the only signature show Netflix really has is Stranger Things. And you could argue Squid Games and a few other things. But can you build a Stranger Things universe? I don't know. Can you, you know, like, look, uh, Amazon Prime has the boys. And that can spin off an entire superhero universe. That's where Netflix should be focusing is on building franchises or buying well-known intellectual property. And instead, they continue this model of let's throw $200 million at the rock and, and he can make a movie, you know, where whatever, there's the world's giant, sand, biggest sandstorm ever and the rock has to fight it or who cares? It doesn't matter. You maybe kind of watch it, but you don't have any engagement with it. Whereas Disney Plus, I'm excited for the least interesting shows. I mean, I'm watching Miss Marvel now, which is a show like I probably wouldn't have watched, but you kind of want to know where it fits in the continuity of the overall like Marvel universe. Netflix just doesn't have enough of that. So they're wasting billions of dollars on shows nobody feels close to. Dan, uh, there was also an announcement this week that I think Amazon Prime, the video piece of the Amazon, is getting a refresh. Uh, we just talked about Amazon in the front part of this segment with digital and, and – or excuse me, one digital and healthcare. What about this refresh? Um, they don't have the same level of content. There are a few series that I have watched, Bosch. Bosch Legacy. I like, you know, I like crime shows and things like that. Um, any chance that they can compete? And does that mean anything other than maybe they're just fixing their UI, which wasn't very yeah, good to begin with? I don't think competing is their goal. I think the goal at Amazon is as more things move from digital to physical shipping, which I don't think has actually happened, but let's pretend that that model happens at, at some point, is to, to keep you as a, as a year-long subscriber instead of someone who maybe gets Amazon Prime for the holiday season or for part of the year, they want you to go like, eh, I'm not really ordering a lot from Amazon, but hey, I'm, I'm watching Foundation. So I, I don't want that. That was actually Apple. I'm watching uh, uh, Upload or, or whatever it might be. So I, I think with Amazon Prime, part of it is that like Jeff Bezos and Amazon execs wanted to meet celebrities, but a small part of it is just let's produce a couple of good shows every quarter keep people engaged. And yes, the user experience could be improved. I think that that's really true for everybody in this space. But I wouldn't put a lot of thought, like they're not trying to, to knock off Apple or, or not knock off uh, Disney or, or Netflix or anybody like that. Dan, as an aside, since we're talking about Amazon, and this was not Amazon, it wasn't branded Amazon, but I was sitting grabbing some coffee or grabbing, grabbing watching my tablet last night in front of the, in front of the Starbucks and what went past me? A, a rolling drone. I thought it was R2-D2, but it was a delivery drone. Um, I'd never seen that before. You know, As you know, I live in Charlotte, North Carolina, in what's called Uptown. It rolled right by, and it watched uh, the, the, to cross the streets. It knew when to go across the street and when not to come across the street. That was pretty neat. Yeah, the problem is history has shown that within like two hours, like some teenagers are going to bash it in with a baseball bat. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah. 
Go ahead. I'm you sorry. Know, look, yeah, I, I've been studying binary all these years because I'm looking forward to speaking someday with my, my personal R2-D2. But I feel like robots, you know, look, my Roomba does a good job and it's really smart. And it's navigating the fact that my house is full of boxes and it still largely doesn't get trapped all that often. But I don't think we're moving to this world where robots are are a big part of it. And drone delivery and robot delivery is still sort of a gimmick. And we'll see more of it, but I'm not so sure we're moving to this, like, Jetsons world where we all have robot maids. Like, I'd like it to happen, but it doesn't seem likely. Yeah, it just seems like that whole movie, iRobot, that's not going to happen anytime soon. Last question, Dan. Just went back to streaming for a second. I forwarded you a story I saw that Chicago, the great city of Chicago, the Windy City, has negotiated a deal to tax streaming. Um, you know, there are taxes on your cell phone or they're not even sell. What is it called uh, on your iPhone uh, mobile to, mobile plan? Because it's not really cellular anymore. But anyway, uh, there are taxes there. There are taxes on uh, your uh, cop, your cable. Um, is this as par for the course, or is this just another opportunity? Since uh, the thirty eight percent of fifty year olds, so that be people like me and older, are using streaming. Okay, Dan. So that is clearly the direction things are going. So is this another just a, another revenue stream for the government, anticipating a major shift by the demography in the country? Um, I think it becomes pretty tricky because, like, okay, Chicago is taxing it. What if Illinois also wants to tax it? What if the federal government? And that that's how, that's how your smartphone bill is. Yeah. Like I remember moved from from Westchester County to Connecticut, like. There was like a very small tax that, that Sprint kept charging me for, for years and years that, that it should have dropped. I think we should deal with this on a, on a national basis, on a, on a federal legislation basis. I think it's perfectly fine that digital products be taxed, but it also has to happen on sort of a standardized basis. I, I don't think we want to use, use it like income tax or it's like, hey – Move to Florida. We don't tax your Netflix. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not anyone's concerned. And then there's a lot of tricky things. Like, like I get my Netflix largely paid for by T-Mobile. Will T-Mobile pay that tax, or do I have to pay that tax? Like, it, it, it to me, it's absolutely something we should do. For a long time, the Amazons of the world, uh, you know, did not want to charge sales tax, and eventually that became a thing. But I think it has to be a nationally negotiated deal, and maybe it's a Maybe it's a federal tax that's distributed to the states, which is distributed to the municipalities. I think it's fine to pay six, eight percent, whatever, whatever it is, uh, you know, on your fourteen ninety nine or five ninety nine. Um, but it should not end up being like a sea of taxes the way smartphones have been. Yeah, well, you know, just given everything that's going on with inflation, I'm not sure people could stomach more of that. But you know how it works; they'll probably kind of hide that in there with with. Uh, you know, a litany of other things. Dan, we're going to have to leave it there. Great segment, of course, this week. Great always to talk to you. Love the breakdown. We've covered a diverse amount of topics. Uh, great to talk to you. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, and we'll talk to you again very soon, my friend. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Jeff. Bye again. Imagine a new television network that will make you richer, healthier, and in control of your financial future. This network is for the policewoman in Nashville, Tennessee, 
the baker in Dubuque, Iowa, the teacher in Lexington, Kentucky. We want to make the idea of savings and retirement culturally relevant. But what do you see as a defining issue of the midterms? Especially for the smaller businesses, I mean, they are the lifeblood of the American economy. Featuring exclusive interviews, current affairs, and docu-series. 33 yeah. years old, you retired early. The philosophy is money only matters if it helps you live a life that you love. But you gotta start thinking about retirement as soon as you get in. The Broadcast Retirement Network will drive very high engagement with premium partnerships. So this isn't retirement and savings for your parents or grandparents. This is for all Americans. And we're gonna change the way you think about money. Welcome to the next frontier of retirement and savings. This is BRN, the Broadcast Retirement Network. Are you stuck with a low credit score? A credit report and score that's causing you to be denied credit or pay higher interest rates than others for the same things? Then do what Terrence did and call Credit Repaired for your free credit evaluation to help restore your credit. I started thinking about buying a new house and my score wasn't where I needed it to be. I called and spoke with one of the representatives and we just had a good conversation and I, I liked what he was saying. Just one call for his free credit evaluation was all it took to start back on the track to repairing his credit. I'm seeing the deletions and I'm getting the report so I know something's being done. It does make a difference to me. All it takes is one call to get started. Credit repair has given me a second chance to have a better credit score. Don't let a low credit score hold you back another day. Do what Terrence did and make the call for your free credit evaluation. Call 800-819-4152. That's 800-819-4152. Again, 800-819-4152. Welcome back, and now we're going to shift gears and talk about what is happening on Capitol Hill, whether it comes to legislation, litigation, or regulation. Joining us online, you know them as the Legal Eagles, and they are back together again. David Levine, Kevin Walsh, both are principals with the Groom Law Group. They're an employee benefits law firm based in Washington, D.C. Gentlemen, so great to talk to you together. Thanks so much for joining us on the program this morning. Jeff, it's great to be here. Guess who's back? Back again. Guess who's back? Tell a friend. That's right. Uh, which one of you is Slim Shady? Okay, we're not going to go there. Um, and we appreciate you guys making time. Uh, you guys are in disparate places, unrevealed locations. But you know, there there is a national data privacy bill that is gaining traction. And I thought I would ask, start with you, Kevin. Ask for your input on this bill that is, I think, passed the subcommittee, but has not is now going to the full house. But what what can we glean? from this national privacy bill, which I would think would have some implications as it relates to retirement plans, benefit plans, all the things that we talk about on the network. Yeah, so I think one of the, the key things here is that we're still in the very early stages of, of developing you know, national privacy policy. Um, and we've seen so far a handful of states have implemented uh, privacy bills, California being the most prominent, but other states like Virginia and Colorado um, have done their own privacy bills. Um, and, you know, right now, um, I think House and Senate, Republicans and Democrats are you know, working to see if there's a path forward for you know, federal privacy legislation. And what we're seeing is, you know, some of the things that have caused hiccups before uh, continue to cause hiccups, while on other items, there seems to be broader consensus. 
So, I mean, what the new bill would do is it would, if it were enacted, it would give consumers more control over, you know, the collection of and the use of information related to them uh, by businesses. Mm-hmm. Now, where there's still some hiccups are, are issues like, you know, how is it enforced? Um, you know, at, at the moment, the, the chair of the Senate committee would like to have a private right of action. Um, and, you know, the Senate Commerce Chairwoman, Maria Cantwell, uh, if this bill is going to get passed, it would have to go through her committee. Um, now, uh, Senator Cantwell has indicated that, you know, without a, a private right of action, you know, if arbitration is the enforcement mechanism or a state aid is the enforcement mechanism, that, you know, it's unlikely to get any action in her committee. So what the House subcommittee did was they went from they had a proposal that said, you know, it'll be four years before consumers can bring a lawsuit. Uh, they've dropped it to two years. On the other hand, um, in kind of a, a pull to Republicans, uh, they added more robust arbitration language. So, you know, that's an issue that, you know, unless there's some changes, it, it's tough to see how this would, would get much traction in the Senate. Um, another key hang up, and this is one that's more of a, a, a Republican side hang up, is preemption. Um, you know, one thing we talk about is, you know, a 50 state patchwork of privacy. And, you know, federal legislation, one of the one of the nice things about federal legislation is that it can impose a uniform standard across the country. Um, you know, since California went first and some states have already have already gone, um, some of those states have say, you know, we've already gone. We would like our thing to, to, to last. So what we're seeing in the current House version is, you know, a modified um, preemption provision, which would essentially allow states that have acted before this legislation moves to keep their standards um, and then for the federal bill to preempt states that act after um, the bill become enacted. So in, in essence, we'd end up with five or six standards in the U.S. instead of uh, one or 50 plus. Um, you know, it remains to be seen if that's a, a compromise that people like. Uh, there's still a fair amount of place to go with this. So it, it, it got out of committee uh, and it got out of committee uh, with a 53 to two vote which is, you know, very significant. It shows mm-hmm. bipartisan support. Um, one of the catches with this, though, is that, you know, a number of the folks who voted for it in committee have said that they would not support it on the floor, uh, absent seeing, you know, further changes. And, you know, the tweaks go both ways. We've got, you know, two Democratic reps um, who are on the committee who are worried that it would override um, California's bill. Uh, you've got Republican reps on the committee who are concerned about the enforcement provisions. Yeah. Uh, David, I want to bring you into the conversation, get your perspective. And, and sure. um, you know, obviously this is an important topic for consumers, but there are a lot of interests here, uh, both in the financial services community, technology, consumer advocates. Um, I think everyone's got a, a, a dog in this fight. I wholeheartedly concur with that. And I think Kevin hit it really well. It, get threading the needle on getting this legislation through given the who can enforce preemption, pre-existing regulation, it's a lot of the same tensions that I, that exist in other parts of the retirement industry, except for on a macro level, because there's so many more stakeholders. This is not just about our benefits industry. It's so much bigger. The example I use is, if you, for those who followed all the Secure 2.0 travails, one, one, one of the things that uh, that we've run into a lot is, for instance, the idea of a mandate for everybody to offer a 401k plan and the issue of state plan, state IRA plans and programs versus a federal mandate who survives. 
imagine taking that and blowing it far larger. And then who can actually enforce is a huge issue. And I agree with Kevin. I think this is going to have a challenging way of moving forward in the Senate. You never know. But at the, at the same time, you can be surprised sometimes. So I think the fact that it's moving shows that there was a evolution. Mm-hmm. But I think we have a long way to go, Jeff, before we actually see this. Kevin, if you think I'm wrong, argue away, of course, because that's what we do. <laughs> no, I, I think you're right. I, I think, you know, we highlighted two of the obvious uh, things that, that the two sides are disagreeing on. I, I think there's also the interplay of a federal bill and, you know, that we do have a patchwork already of, you know, GLBA and HIPAA and other other, you know, federal rules that relate to privacy in certain areas. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, many of those privacy bills go through other committees, so we could still see some, you know, jurisdictional mud fights um, in terms of figuring out how, you know, different federal privacy statutes interact with one another. And that, that you know, I, I think we're on our way towards federal privacy legislation. I'd be very surprised if we got there this year. I like, Kevin, I like that you said the word jurisdiction mud fights. I'd never heard of that, but I'm trying to envision what that would actually look like in the uh, well of the Senate or the House. Well, actually, Jeff, I have to add one last note on that. Yes. Imagine standing at the four corners where the four states meet and every every regulator stands there. And it's like it's like a snowball, but a mud fight. And everybody stands there. The image is perfect for me. It is. It is. I, you know, I mean, we would love to have uh, them, all these different parties on to talk about this. This is such a big, important part of uh, technology and how all of us are using technology. So I don't think this debate We'll go away anytime soon. We'll be watching this one closely. David Levine, Kevin Walsh, better known as the Legal Eagles. Thanks so much for joining us. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. We'll talk to you again very soon. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you, listeners. Thank you, Jeff. And that wraps up this episode of BRN Sunday. Have a topic of interest? Someone you think we should talk to? Drop us a line, and don't forget, for all the latest security news and lifestyle, wellness, finance, tech, so much more in all in one place, check out today's edition of our daily newsletter, The Morning Pulse. Want to search our archives? Check out our latest content? Well, visit our website and our streaming partners. We're back again tomorrow for another edition of BRNAM. Until then, I'm Jeff Snyder. Stay safe, keep on saving, and don't forget, roll with the changes.